It is a comfort to know that God's assistants, His messengers, are watching us. That's God's heart. I want to take just a moment and pray for Anna Lou and her family. Her nephew early this morning died and he suffered greatly last night is what Terry had told me this morning. And uh, as I said to Terry and to Susie, one good thing about it, we always have the trump card. Because to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. And he's not suffering now. Um, he had a clear relationship with Jesus. But the people that love him are. And I wanted to take just a couple of moments to pray for the family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Anna Lou and how hard it is for her to physically be here. But she makes a point, a priority to be with God's people to worship you. And that's inspirational to me. And I think not to me alone. I pray for her. I pray for the rest of her family, God, as they're seeking to be together to comfort one another. And Lord, their tears are, are not for the suffering of uh, of Rick, uh, but rather their tears are for the sense of they know they'll miss him. But thank you that a reunion awaits all of us because of Jesus and what he has done at Calvary. So Lord, we just thank you for the hope and for the fact that we're victors in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, just help them all. Just comfort them. And may they feel the prayers and support of your people now, God. Thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. A couple other uh, little announcements here before we move on into the heart of the message. Wednesday night, we're going to have a first nominating committee meeting at 6 o'clock. Uh, for any who are here that may be on the nominating committee, just as a word of announcement. And a second announcement, next Sunday night, Agape is going to be here. A dozen of a group of friends of ours from Long Island, New York, they come and share a simple word of testimony. And um, if anybody's open, interested, uh, maybe housing one or two of them Sunday night, let us know. If not, we'll make a big pot of spaghetti and house a dozen of them. We've done that, but uh, it should be a real blessing if you can come be a part of that next Sunday night as well. But uh, let's let's move into the message this morning. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to ask you when you find that to stand in God's honor. 1 Thessalonians 2, starting at 17, as I read aloud. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. 
In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and because of your faith, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's pray. Master, as we come to you, we need to hear from you, O Lord. We get sidetracked. We get deceived. And we just lose sight of you, O Master. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak through this message, God. We open our hearts and we open our lives. I pray, Lord, that the message might be plain, that it be words that people could understand and hear. Uh, pray, Father, that there would be a passion. Father, that uh, clearly a love for you would would be in this time, Lord. I pray, Father, that your power would be in this message, God. That we would sense your very presence, Lord. And uh, Father, we, we just need to hear from you. And so, Father, may you have your way this morning. We invite you to speak. You take our weakness and infuse your power. And that's what we ask for, God, as we continue to invite you as we have thus far in this time called worship service. May that happen. May we worship. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, we are so blessed to live here. There are a lot of countries in the world where you're not free to come together like this and to worship Jesus Christ. Uh, there's several websites I check out occasionally. One of them's Persecuted Church. Uh, I think it's .com or .org. But, and it just has examples of just people in other places, other countries, that simply want to meet together to worship Jesus Christ. And they end up in jail. They end up um, being beaten. They end up losing their jobs. They end up suffering. And, and you know, that occurred in the early church as well, as there was a time of suffering. In the Roman Empire, all of the thoughts, all of the uh, energy, everything was to be given to Caesar, to the Roman ruler. And they were a little suspicious about the church of Jesus Christ because it looked like somebody besides Caesar was getting worship and attention. And so they would send spies into the churches to see, hey, what is really happening in that place? What are those nuts doing over there? And uh, I just want to read to you, this is just a sentence, a testimony from, uh, it's written in an ancient history about what spies said about entering one of those meetings. They speak of one named Jesus who is absent, but seem to be expecting Him at any time. My, how they love Him. 
in how they love one another. My, how they love Him and how they love one another. Now, I guess my question as I open up this message, we're going to take an in-depth look at brotherly love, is if there were spies among us here in the Kingsway Church family, and they were able to watch us, not just in this worship service, but watch us as we go through the day, how we relate to one another, what would they say? Would they say, my, how they love Jesus, and my, how they love one another? That's the hope. And and we're going to look at five qualities through this section of Scripture that are explained that give us a more detailed look at the love God calls us to live among one another. And I want to begin uh, in verse 17. First quality, brotherly love desires others. Paul says, but brothers... When we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. That phrase, torn away, could literally be translated when we were orphaned from you. You know, in the previous section of Scripture, we saw how Paul used a description of himself as a parent. Uh, he took one section, talked about the qualities of a nurturing mom, then he took the qualities of a dad, and he used both to describe the intense way he felt about that young new church. And as he's speaking, it's been nine months to a year, he's not been with these believers, he wonders what's going on in their lives, and, and he cares about them, and as he writes to them, he says, guys, I didn't want to leave, but I was forced to leave. I was orphaned from you. I was torn away from you, ripped away from your presence, and I want to be with you. And the truth of the matter is, this Christian life is not something that you set out to do alone. God has made us where we need to be interconnected, where we need to be together. And the natural response of a parent is to care about the kids. I know there's a couple of nuts out there that say, yeah, go ahead, play in the freeway. I'll check on you in an hour or something like that. But that's not the normal heart of a parent. The normal heart of a parent is, uh, you know, I think about where are you going? What are you doing? How are you thinking about what you do today? How is it going to affect what you do tomorrow? Because everything we do, it has consequences. And sometimes those who are younger don't quite understand that yet. And so a parent who's loving is thinking about those things. And if not careful, tends to worry instead of really saying, God, help me. But instead, like, God, let me control it. And we can't. But that's, that's Paul's heart uh, toward these people. And Guys, we we need each other. We're citizens of heaven. This place is not our home. And so we need to look out for other heaven citizens that we can spend time with because there's so many around us who don't come from this strange land that we're connected to, guys. I want to read to you. This is a quote from Judson's Swihart that describes the life of uh, the lonely. It says, Some people are like medieval castles. Their high walls keep them safe from being hurt. They protect themselves emotionally by permitting no exchange of feelings with others. No one can enter. They are secure from attack. However, inspection of the occupant finds him or her lonely, rattling around the castle alone. The castle dweller is a self-made prisoner. He or she needs to feel loved by someone, but the walls are so high that it's difficult 
to reach out or for anyone else to reach in. Fifty-seven times in the Old Testament, I mean in the New Testament, fifty-seven times, thirty-two times in Paul's letters to the young churches, he uses the phrase, one another. So over and over again, over fifty times, there's this reference to, guys, be connected. Guys, share life together. And, and inside of the heart of a person is seeking God, when God gets a hold of us, it's never to share alone, but with one another. Man, this idea of Christianity where nobody else is involved, that's not really what the Scripture talks about. Because the Scripture talks about Christianity getting a hold of us and pulling us together for a common cause. I, I want to share with you, uh, I'm thinking about this, uh, a favorite old hymn of Ruth Harper's and, and her husband. Called others, I know George has sang it in church before, but I thought, well, that this really fits well with a heart that God places in His people of brotherly love. It's called others. Lord, help me to live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayers shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true, and know that all I'll do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain, and buried deep, and all in vain, may efforts be to rise again, unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done, and my new work in heaven begun, may I forget the crown I've won, while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, others. Let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I may live like thee. Man, that's the heart. You know, someone did a survey sometime back trying to find out why people didn't go to church. They went not door to door. And two things kept coming to the front. Number one, there was an idea out there that people in the church didn't really care about them. They thought, you know, they, they meet in a building, they meet week after week, but they don't really care about me. And the second thing that came out was, what they really care about is money. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, All men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, let, let me... Let me share something that's really critical here, guys, about, because the, the title of this series is a dynamic ministry. What makes up dynamic ministry? Listen, um, dynamic ministry, we think about evangelism, we think, man, go out there, and we're gonna grab them, and we're gonna drag them to heaven, man. We're gonna share that message, and we're gonna, we're gonna open up their hearts, and we're gonna turn Bristol upside down. Well, praise be to God, that'd be awesome. But let me tell you something. That's just as critical as grabbing them and pulling them in here. And that's this. That Kingsway Baptist Church needs to be a place that once they come in here, they see the love of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you some bad evangelism is when you tell them about Jesus and they come in here and we don't love each other. They'll come in here and say, wait a minute, they were telling me about the love of God and how much God loves them. And they don't love each other. You see that look they gave one another? 
What is that all about? The love of Christ, it's not just love toward me, it's love that goes out with each other. And guys, that is so critical and such a part of God's plan and what He wants to do in our lives and in our hearts. Look at... uh, Look at uh, verse 18 with me. I want to look at the fact that brotherly love endures for others. He says... uh, For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Man, Paul was dogged everywhere he went. He wanted to minister. He said, Satan stopped us. There were hindrances. Now, how did Satan work? Some think maybe it was through that thorn in the flesh Paul talks about. Others thought, well, maybe it's the guys that ran him off a year ago. Some of those Jews and those who fought against the starting of the church in Thessalonica, they they ran him off and that's why he was heartbroken. He he had to run for his life to get away. Maybe it was them. Um, Not really quite sure how the devil operated, but he said he operated. He said the devil stopped us. And and you know, sometimes when uh, we're dealing with, with tough stuff that prevents us from being obedient to God or is a hindrance... We say, well, you know, was that just part of God's plan or was that the devil working on us? How can we tell the difference? Well, hindsight is always twenty twenty. When you're going through it, a lot of times you don't know. But if you're able to turn around and look back at where you've been, you can see the hand of God. And, and here's the key here. Was the gospel being hindered? Was the, was the gospel being stopped from moving out? That's when you get a good look at the old devil. Because what's he want to do more than anything else? He wants to keep the gospel from getting out, and he wants to keep people from being forgiven, and from being rightly related, from being rightly related to God. That's his heart. That's what he wants to do. Uh, that's him. Look here in First Thessalonians 3, 1. It says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. The trials, they were a part that was there. And guys, when you're hurting, see, here's when things are going bad, we need love. We need to be encouraged. Listen to this quote from Keith Miller. Uh, the way to love someone is to lightly run your finger over that person's soul until you find a crack. And then gently pour your love into that crack. Paul was being persecuted. The church was being persecuted in Thessalonica. And as Paul shared, he said, man, we got to stand together. uh, It was one of the early founding fathers says, uh, if we don't, he says, if we don't hang out together, then we'll hang separately. And and man, it's important to to hang together, uh, to stand strong in Christ. Uh, Next, brotherly love sacrifices, is willing to sacrifice. 
In verse 4 he says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. In 1968, uh, one of the U.S. warships, the USS Pueblo, was captured by the North Koreans. Eighty-two prisoners were taken from the ship. Thirteen were forced to sit upright in these chairs hour after hour. Finally, at the end of the first day, a soldier came in through the door. The chair sitting closest to the door, uh, he began to beat a soldier brutally with the butt of his rifle until he fell on the floor bloody. And then he disappeared. They were forced to still continue to sit upright in those chairs. The next day, at a time they didn't expect, soldier once again barreled through the door when the butt of the rifle began to beat that soldier nearest the door savagely till he fell out of the chair. This happened the third day. And the 13 came together and they said, You know, guys, he ain't gonna, he's not going to survive this many days. We've got to do something. And so they made this decision. They decided that they would take turns sitting in that chair closest to the door. And so over the next days, they would take turns sitting in that chair. They would take turns suffering. They would take turns hitting, uh, catching the butt of that rifle and suffering. But the key is, guys, they all survived of the 13, which would not have happened if they hadn't taken turns. Guys, we got... Brotherly love means, hey, I'm willing to, to be right there with you where it hurts. Be willing to be beside you and, and to, to let you know that you're not alone. Next, uh, brotherly love rejoices in others. Look at verse 19 here. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. That's 2.19. And then down in verse 3, uh, three verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Guys, there's several times here. Several times here, as Paul mentions his church, he talks about joy. He talks about rejoicing. Um, it talks about in Proverbs, I think it's 17.22. It says, um, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Guys, there is nothing wrong with the people of God having fun and laughing and enjoying one another. And I don't know why sometimes we get the idea that to be spiritual, you've got to look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. It's just stupid. We need to have fun. And one thing I do like about you guys um, is you, there's a lot of funny people around here. Uh, I went on one mission trip with the guys um, down to Florida and me being the handyman I'm not. Uh, I climbed up on the roof and I had slick shoes. We were working on this roof and I slid down and I got a mission injury. You know, Paul, he was beaten with whips and, you know, stoned to death, nearly stoned to death. And he suffered greatly for the cause of Jesus. Me, I fell on a nail in the cushy part. <laughs> had to get a tetanus shot. And, man, they got a lot of mileage out of that on me. Just laughing. And then uh, uh told Wednesday night, last Monday, there was a group of five guys that wanted me to do a little bit of work on Mom's house, which we haven't uh, put on the market yet. And we were there and uh, looked back there and they found our old wedding picture. And uh, 
You know, brought that to the front, and they were all giving me a hard time, you know. And Bill Statzer says, wow, look at that. Cindy hadn't changed hardly at all. I said, that must be her first husband. <laughs> Isn't it good, though, guys, that we can... I mean, we ought to be able to joke and have fun, and, and, and it shouldn't be a drag to be a believer. We, we ought to be connected enough where we can kind of poke at each other and, and, and just have fun together. And as Paul's talking, he talks about a joy that's flowing out of the church. And that needs to be there. And we need to be real enough where people are attracted and say, you know, they really like each other. They're willing to have fun together. That's, that's critical. As we look at the passage itself, though, there's a couple things that really brought him joy. One is the fact that Jesus was coming back. There was an expectation among the people. That was another reason they could really enjoy being together was they knew there's more to life than what? We see now, Jesus is coming back, and it excites him. And then the part that really, another part really got a hold of me. Notice here, when he says he goes into glory, he doesn't say, um, "Indeed, I look forward to receiving a crown." He says, "You are our glory and joy." What's he saying? He's saying, "Guys, um, I am so grateful that." God put our paths together. I am so grateful that He allowed us to be friends. I'm so grateful that God got a hold of your heart when we were talking about His Son and, and how He died for us and how He loves you and how He wants to make you and forgive you. And you guys received that and your lives were changed. And now, guys, we're connected and we're going to heaven. And when we go to heaven, it's going to be a blast when, I'm a, when we're able to look at each other and smile and say, praise be to Jesus, we're here together. Man, he was excited about that. And you know, sometimes uh, when it, we are in glory, and you, know, you may look around and you'll see somebody there that God used to open your heart with that message of Jesus, and you'll want to go up to them, maybe hug them. Say, man, I'm so grateful for you. Just being a servant of Jesus and bumping into me and loving me and being honest about His message. And that'll be neat. But how about the other side? Let's be thinking the other side. Who's God laid on your heart now? To love. To love toward glory. Who's He laid on your heart now to invest in? Who, who's He laid on your heart that, to say, uh, man, follow Jesus? Who? Paul's talking about these, these believers and, and he's saying, man, I look forward to that day. Who do you look forward to? And if it's nobody, I just challenge you, get on your heart, your face for God, and just to pray. say, God, help me. Show me who I need to love. Show, because they're out there. We're surrounded by a lot of people that are just, man, they're desperate. And it may be that God wants to open my eyes and open my heart to see them. Maybe I just hadn't seen them yet. And, and uh, I just challenge you guys. Next, uh, brotherly love treats others as equals. Look at verse 2 here. Um, Paul writes, We sent Timothy, who's our brother, and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. You know, I love this. I mean, obviously, Paul's been doing mission work for a long time. And he could have said, <clears throat> Guys, you know, I'm the top dog mission cat, you know. I'm the elder at this. 
And God has placed His calling and anointing on my life. And I know you guys know that because you can see it. And He could have said, I am an apostle. I mean, hand-picked by Jesus Himself, guys. And I'm sending this uh, young guy, he's got a lot to learn. But I'm sending this young guy named Timothy, and, and he's been with me, the high dog, and so it's some of that's rubbed off on him, and he's ready to come. He didn't do any of that. What did he say? I love it. He said, fellow worker. He didn't talk about all this stuff that he had accomplished and where he's been. He said, Timothy, man, he's, he, was, he was lifting Timothy up. He was encouraging uh, Timothy. He was saying, you can count on Timothy. I know Timothy. I've been with Timothy, and he loves the Lord. I can think of nobody else I'd rather send because this guy's a fellow worker. He's my equal. Um, it's, it's just like me coming. And, uh, you know, we tend to, ah, we tend to label each other. We say, well, this one makes this much money or, or, uh, he goes to this type of church or he's that color. Or, you know, whatever. There are all these labels. and Man, we're bad a lot of times to label people. And I love what Stephen Olford, I'll never forget this. I heard him speak one time. And he was talking about labels. My favorite saying on labels, guys. He said, let me tell you about labels. He said, if you go up, they blow off. And if you go down, they burn off. But either way, they're going to come off. And that's the heart of brotherly love. Brotherly love says, man, you know, I'm glad God's able to use me. But when I look around, I see He's using you. And what He's doing through you is just as significant as what He's doing through me. That's when brotherly love kicks in. And there's an excitement that happens because we see that, man, we all matter to the living God. And yeah, I matter. But so do you. Um... Someone has said that uh, there's over 15 million nerve endings in the body. Now, I don't know how they counted them. But somewhere in there, around 15 million nerve endings, that control around 600 muscles. Now, all these nerve endings, all these muscles, but they're all contained in one body. We're different, but we're all part of the body of Christ. And... You know, the body works great until something goes wrong and then the whole body feels bad because it suffers because there's something wrong with that one part. And you know, the body of Christ suffers when we don't function together. When we don't hear the commands of the Master and the nerve endings of His people don't respond and and act, the whole body hurts. The whole body suffers um, when that's the case. And and guys, uh, we're all ministers of the gospel. And the truth is, Jesus needs all of us to work together. There's not two or three of us that are going to be able to do what God wants to do through King's Way. It, we, everybody's needed. Last one. Um, brotherly love prays for one another. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul wasn't physically able to be with them, but he said, you know, I pray for you every day because I love you guys. I pray for you. Uh, You know, you say, well, we're supposed to pray. 
I mean, you could kind of say that's obvious, preacher. I know I'm supposed to pray. But do we? There's a verse that's always haunted me. It's 1 Samuel 12, 23. And Samuel the prophet said, uh, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. What a verse. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. As a movement of God spreads through Africa, uh, there's a story in some, uh, one of the villages that as uh, villagers gave their hearts to Christ, um, they would work together for this new believer and cut a trail through the brush to go out into the jungle and have a private place to pray each day. And uh, uh, it's some of those, as time went by on some of those paths, the grass would grow up. And so there was a saying that would come among that church there in Africa. Friend, there's grass on your path. And so the believers would uh, come up to that one where they saw the grass growing and say, friends, there's grass on your path. In other words, we can tell you hadn't been praying isn't it? That's pretty cool. A little harder for us because there's not grass we can see on each other's paths. But what a calling. I need your prayers. You need my prayers. We need to pray together. Okay, so a double commitment. Uh, Last week we looked at the fact that the Word of God's necessary. This week we look at the fact that the people of God are necessary. Commitment's so critical. Dawson Trotman, a favorite character of mine. I, as many of you know, when I came to Christ as a teenager, God laid upon my heart um, the importance of memorizing Bible verses. Um, and... Uh, the guy that started Navigators was a guy named Dawson Trotman, and he, at one time, he handled all the follow-up for Billy Graham. That's a pretty big, pretty big deal, and uh, he had a heart for discipleship. And one of the things he would do is memorize a verse a day. And he, man, he would just like convict me, you know. Like there was one part I have in an old Bible of mine that says, "I've almost got the Book of Romans memorized." I'm like, "Oh, brother," but. But God laid on my heart how important that was. And, and through the years, sometimes I'll try to... You know, the hard thing is you learn some verses and then you, if you don't go over them, you forget them or they get rusty and that's what's hard. But I've had different times in my life where I'll look at them and sometimes I'll put them aside and, and may God get a hold of them. And I encourage you guys. I'm telling you, it is so cool to memorize Scripture. Psalm 119, 9-11. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Um, I've hidden your word in my heart. Um, don't let me sin against you. See, I've messed it up. Pressure, but look that up, Psalm 119, 9-11. Uh, importance of hiding God's word in your heart. God said, anyway, I didn't mean to really go there. Just, just a heart passion of mine. Dawson Trotman, um, he was in his early 50s and he went out on a, a boat with a group of people, a group of friends, and Something happened and the boat crashed and um, people ended up overboard and uh, Dawes 
was an expert swimmer and he dove in to rescue people. And he began getting people to a safe place and then he'd go back in and grab somebody else. And then he went under and he didn't come back up. And he drowned. And Time Magazine had an article and the title of the article said, Dawson Trotman always holding somebody else up. I like that. Uh, Here's my challenge. Um, May we be a church holding one another up. And you never know when you're going to be the one about to fall. But whenever that is, may we be a people that hold each other up. And when somebody falls, maybe catch them. I want to close with uh, one of my favorite stories. As a matter of fact, it's in the front of our directory. And we redid our directory. I said, that's got to go back in there because I love the story. In my little letter part. But I want to read it to you. um, Because I think it really describes the church. A wise retired pastor described his understanding of ministry in three phases. In the first phase, as a hot young shot, a young hot shot preacher, recently out of seminary, who thought more highly of himself than he should, he pictured the ministry like this. The people of my congregation were out in deep water, going down for the third time. I was high and dry on the shore, <clears throat> telling them how to get from where they were to where I was. Then he added, my concept changed. After a few years in the ministry, I came to a new understanding. The people were still in the water and they were still in trouble. But now I was at the edge of the water with one foot on dry land and the other out in the water with my hand stretched out toward them to help them get from where they were to where I was. (laughs) After many more years in the twilight of my ministry, I finally came to a clear understanding. I understood that I was in the water with the people. They were holding me up. And underneath us all were the everlasting arms of God. That's the way it really is. Let's pray. God, I love these people, but you love them more. And we need you, God. We need your everlasting arms to hold us up. Um, your word says in Deuteronomy 33 27. Uh, He carries us in His arms. He's our hiding place. Thank You for that, God. And I just pray this morning, God, that Your Spirit would be free to move. Um, We want brotherly love to be evident at Kingsway. We want to be a church that holds up God's people. Um, Father, I just pray that You get a hold of us, Lord. May Your Spirit move. And may we obey. If we need to come to the altar to pray, bring us. If we need to come to speak specifically, um, Father, uh, to Your people to share a word of what You're doing in our lives, um, then may we come. If we just need to make a decision, Father, today is the day. And I just ask, Lord, that You would simply grab a hold of us so strongly that we would obey and that we'd come. And uh, whatever that may be, if it's to find your forgiveness for the first time, if it's to come and say, Kingsway is the church body I need to belong to. Um, 
if uh, it's to say I, I want to start anew, I know He's forgiven me, but I haven't been living like it, and I, I want you guys to know I'm, I'm ready to have a fresh start. Whatever, God, just let us obey. Thank You for allowing us to be here, and we, we just seek You, God. Have Your way. In the Christ's name we ask. Amen.